Well, we're going to, like I said, start a new series today called The Offbeat Songs of Christmas and take a look at uh, each week uh, a different focus, different topic. And uh, this week we're going to take a look at We Three Kings Are Disoriented, be dealing with the issue of materialism and commercialism. I watched a cartoon classic this week. How many of you have seen Charlie Brown Christmas? Anybody? No? I own the DVD. That's how much I love it. And I seriously thought, now some of you are going to be bothered by this, what kind of church is this? But I seriously thought about just showing that DVD this morning. Because he does such a great job. Charles Schultz was a Christian, I'm sure you know that. And he's with Jesus right now. But uh, that whole 25-minute DVD, and if you haven't watched it recently, if you don't have it for your kids, it's awesome. Because it deals with this issue of commercialism. Charlie Brown struggles with the fact that Christmas has become materialistic and all about stuff. And, that, and, and he struggles with this, this belief, this reality that most people have forgotten what Christmas really is all about. Like the two guys in the sketch that we just saw, it's easy sometimes to get caught up in the dueling gift thing, isn't it? It's all about, you know, who can outdo the other, who can give the best or the biggest gift. Now, please don't get me wrong, okay? Let me make this very clear. I love Christmas. I love gifts. I like giving gifts. I like receiving gifts. I love Christmas. And that tradition of giving gifts in love uh, is a good tradition. It's not anything that I'm taking a, a slam at today. But I wonder... I wonder if we've taken things too far. I think somebody's mic is on besides mine. Thanks, Lance. Um, it's probably that guy without his clothes on in the back. <laughs> I wonder if we've taken things too far as too many go into debt for stuff that's really just temporary. I wonder if we've become disoriented about the true meaning of Christmas. I don't usually watch uh, TV commercials. I mute them or fast forward them if it's recorded. How many of you say amen to that? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, and I love the mute button. It's my favorite little thing on the remote control. And, uh, I, but this week, because of the topic, uh, I, I watched quite a few of the Christmas ads. And I saw one, uh, we won't pick on anybody in particular. I'm not going to use any names. You might recognize them. One that says, wish big. And what are they basically saying in that ad? Want more. I mean, that really is the point. I saw another one, uh, actually, surprisingly, uh, extravagant and it's it had this family all dressed up all decked out in this beautiful large living room with this gorgeous Christmas tree and the gifts they were exchanging were massive they were huge I mean plasma TVs and gold this and diamond that and they were exchanging all these gifts and I did this quick calculation to add up the amount of money that was represented in this exchange and it was easily five six seven thousand dollars thousands and thousands of dollars as somebody's wheeling in this big TV with a bow on it. Now, I don't know about your home, but we won't be exchanging any 42-inch plasma TVs at my house this year. But what's the image? What's the, the communication that we get through all this advertising? Hey, you've got to want more. You've got to want it bigger and better. And unfortunately, all too often we go into debt to get there. Financial consultant Robert E. Frank said this. It's a quote. He said, the average American adult with a credit card, that would be just about all of us, racks up about $1,000 in debt during the holiday season. And he says, therefore, proportionately, a two-parent family charges about $2,000. So in our country, in the good old U.S. of A., typically about $1,000 per adult or 2000 per family uh, is spent, and it's debt. It's money we slap on the card. Now I want to go out on a limb today, and I'm going to meddle just a bit. This is not going to be one of those warm and fuzzy messages. I don't expect to sell a lot of CDs of this message, okay? 
But I want to meddle just a little bit and say this. If you're going into debt to experience a Merry Christmas, then perhaps something is wrong. Perhaps something is wrong. The beat in your outline says this. To find the real meaning of Christmas and to avoid any financial holiday hangover. You know what that is? That's when the bills start coming in January or February. You know, all that stuff you spent in November, December starts showing up on that you know, little credit card statement. And to avoid any financial holiday hangover, we must decide what we will accept as true. You see, at the heart of this issue, and that's what I want to deal with today, at the heart of this issue are some false beliefs about what is and isn't important at Christmas. And I'm afraid that lots of us, and I've been just as tempted as you to fall into this trap. We've bought into the cultural lies that we live around, this view of of uh, Christmas that's very commercial, very materialistic. And so I want to take a look at two great lies, the two great lies of materialism today. And the first one is this, number one in your outline. I need more stuff. That's one of the great lies of materialism. I need more. This is where we convince ourselves that what we have is not enough and certainly not good enough. We're tired or we're bored with the old. It's last year's model. It's too slow or too small. We compare And sometimes, honestly, we covet. And so we become discontent and disgruntled. And I'm sure you've noticed that advertisers like to play on that emotional displeasure that we have. Again, we see thousands of commercials and billboards and newspaper ads. I looked at the uh, Sunday paper this morning, and about this thick, about a half inch or better of it, was just advertisements. And we see all of that, and what it tells us is you need something bigger, better, and faster than what you've already got. You need something newer. The old's not going to work for you anymore. And so we're told this lie, don't settle for less because you deserve the very best. Anybody ever heard that in any commercial? Don't settle for less because you really, you deserve better. You deserve more. You deserve something bigger, better, and newer. And it's not even a very subtle message, is it? I mean, we just, they're, they're pretty bold about it. We hear it all the time. The first lie is, I need more stuff. And I'm saying it's a lie because I don't believe it's really true for most of us. Uh, if you own a storage facility today, you're making lots of money. Why? Because we get all this stuff we don't have room for anymore, and so we rent these storage sheds to put stuff, you know, in there and to keep it for who knows when, you know. But it's, it's the trap we fall into that, well, we need more. I need more. Here's the second lie, number two. Stuff can make me truly happy. So the first lie is I need more, and the second lie is stuff can make me truly happy, and therefore more stuff will make me what? Happier. That's the lie we buy into. Now, I'm sure that you know one of our driving human needs is the need to be happy. From the time we are infants in our mother's arms, we are driven by some basic needs. The need to be fed when hungry. The need to be changed when dirty. The need to be held and comforted when upset. And and those are basic and legitimate needs. There's nothing wrong with those at all. However, let me just interject this, however, a part of growing older and more mature, a part of growing up, is developing the ability to be patient and learning that not all my needs are legitimate or immediate. A child, an infant especially, doesn't quite get that. And you watch a two, three, or four-year-old, basically their world revolves around whom? Them. Yeah. And, and, and everything they want, they want right now. The idea here, and I know this is going to be really shocking for some of you, the idea here is that as we grow older, we learn to be patient. We learn. We're supposed to learn to practice things like selflessness. 
To put the needs of others before our own. And that's not something we're born with. Watch a two-year-old and you'll know that's true. It's something that has to be taught. Something they have to learn. We're supposed to learn how to practice delayed gratification. You know, instead of wanting it immediately right now as an adult, we're supposed to learn to, to put off, to be patient. A child says, I want it and I want it now. An adult says, I want it, but I may need to wait. And that's again, that's a realistic, I want that, but you know, rather than go in debt, I may need to wait until I can save or, or make some money to pay for that. An adult says, I want it, but it may not be what's best for me. Little kids don't always get that figured out. That's why they have moms and dads to say, honey, I know you want that, but that's not really, you can't have that BB gun, you're only three. You know? And so as an adult, we're supposed to learn, yeah, I, I may want that, but maybe it's not what's best for me. Sometimes, though, this drive to be happy is linked to this lie that having more or better stuff is the pathway to satisfaction. That's a lie. Most of the lessons I've learned, I've learned the hard way. Anybody else out there? You know, well, yeah, most of, yeah. <laughs> most of the lessons I've learned in life, I've learned the hard way. And uh, one of the lessons I learned about this happened back in 1975. My wife and I just got married, and we uh, were dinks. You know what dinks are? Double income, no kids. So we both were making pretty good money and uh, didn't have any debt when we first got married. And we had this brilliant idea. Actually, it was my idea, and I talked Laura into it, let's be honest. But brilliant idea is, honey, let's go buy a new car. You know, she had a 1967 Mustang, a beautiful car. Yeah, I know. And, and we sold that to go buy this 1975 Plymouth Duster. Powder blue. I'm not making this up. Plymouth Duster. And I'm not slamming Plymouth if you happen to sell for Dodge or Plymouth. I'm not slamming them in general. But that car was a lemon. For the year that we owned it, I can't tell you, it was in the shop more than it was out of the shop. I would roll the window up and the knobs would break off in my hand. And I did all the research. We did all the study. And what's the best car for our money? Consumer reports, all those things. But we decided that, no, let's do this and let's get it. And I tell you, here's the lesson I learned, the hard lesson. New is not always better or the pathway to happiness. I learned that lesson. And now have I always remembered that lesson? No. But it's one of those things we've got to deal with if we're going to understand the true great lies. One, I need more stuff. The other is stuff, more stuff can make me truly happy. Well, let's take a look at the two great truths of moderation. Two great truths of moderation. Number one, to worry less, have less. To worry less, have less. In other words, the secret to a worry-free life is to be content with what you have. Why? Because the more you have, the more you tend to worry. Think about it. Think about when you were first married or when you were, you know, young and single and had absolutely nothing. Now think about your life now. And do you worry more now? Some of you are going, huh? We tend to worry more with the more stuff that we have. Check out these two passages. First Timothy chapter 6. Paul writes, But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. I don't know about you, but this verse kind of disturbs me a little bit because it's not very true of me very often. I'm typically not just content with food and clothing, and I want more. Again, there's that part of us that struggles to gain more. But he says, godliness with contentment is great gain, and if we have food and clothing, be content with that. Look at another verse in Hebrews 13, verse 5. 
The writer says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. You know, I, I really like this verse because it connects something for us. This verse in Hebrews, it shows us that contentment comes from this confidence. And it's a confidence in God, this absolute and sure confidence that we have that God is with me and that God will never forsake me. He said, be content with what you had. Why? Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. I can walk in contentment. I can walk in, in peace with what I have because I have this confidence, this God confidence that he's always going to take care of me, that he's always going to be there for me. Jesus understood this reality. And that's why he said in Luke chapter 12, verse 22, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They, do, they have no storeroom or barn. They have no storage sheds. Yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? I want to suggest to you this morning that Jesus introduced into our realm, into our world, a whole other way of living a whole other set of values, that he came to give us a different way, where instead of worrying about all the stuff around us, more stuff, better stuff, newer stuff, that we learn to walk in contentment, that we learn to walk knowing that, again, God, if he takes care of the ravens, if he takes care of the birds, he'll take care of me. The quest for more only leads to worry. And the more I have, the more I have to worry about. It's just the truth. There are a lot of Swedes where I grew up in northern Minnesota. And uh, they're a wonderful people, not a very emotional people, but they, uh, they have some great little proverbs. And there's an old Swedish proverb that I remember that they used to say, worry gives a small thing a big shadow. Isn't that good? Worry gives a small thing this big shadow. You see, the truth is stuff is just stuff. We can't take it with us when we die. And in the scope of things eternal, our stuff is really just a small thing. Now, it is a small thing that sometimes casts a big shadow. And that's why Jesus said life is more than food. We have to have this different perspective. To worry less, have less. I had a great uncle. Um, He's no longer alive, but he uh, was married to my grandfather's sister and an extremely wealthy man. I literally had a great uncle who was a millionaire. Didn't leave me a dime when he died, doggone it. But, uh, I, mean, I, I mean, he was filthy, stinking rich. Had a huge house and estate on Lake Erie in Ohio. I remember that house because the first thing when we drove up to it, it had six garages. And in every one of those garages, he had an expensive car. He had his own yacht. And it wasn't this little fishing boat. I mean yacht in his own marina there on the lake. And he was one of the wealthiest guys I've ever known, but one of the most miserable people I've ever known as well. He took us out, uh, me and my siblings, on his boat, his yacht, for a ride on the lake. And I remember it because I'm a kid. And what do kids want to do on a boat? Run around, play, look, hang over the side, you know, throw stuff, whatever. And he made us sit in this one spot and not move. I mean, he terrified us. Sit there and don't move, you know. Don't go anywhere, don't touch anything, just sit there. And that wasn't a lot of fun for me as a kid on this boat ride as we're out on the lake. My uncle was not a happy man, a miserable man. 
And it's because he had all this stuff that he worried about. And he worried about it more than he worried about the relationships, the people in his life. Now, I know it's possible to have a lot and not worry a lot. I've got some friends that have a lot and they don't worry a lot. I know it's possible, but I think it's the exception rather than the rule. And I know that it's almost un-American. I mean, you know, I could almost be arrested for this. It's almost un-American to suggest that we would do better with less. Does that sound a little un-American? Yeah, it does. But it seems to me that having Christian values should dematerialize our lives. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having stuff. Please don't go out in the parking lot and see who's driving what and look at that person. Obviously, they're material. I mean, I'm not suggesting that we judge others. Or, and again, it's possible to have stuff and not be owned by stuff, to own it but not be owned by it. But I do want you to get this this morning. As we walk with Jesus, as we walk in relationship with Him, we are to develop these Christian values, these biblical values that are completely contrary to the world system. And one of those values is that we, dematerial, that we, we, we lose the, the, the hook that we dematerialize our lives. To worry less, have less. Here's one more truth. Number two, the greatest things in life aren't things. The greatest things in life aren't things. In fact, only people are forever. Everything else is perishable. You know that, right? We all know that. But I'm afraid we don't live like that all too often. We know that reality and that sometimes we live otherwise. In our extended family, uh, my wife and I, we've got siblings on both sides and lots of cousins and nieces and nephews and and so it's pretty large both sides of our family make a lot of people and so we draw names every year and so what we do is you know we throw the names in the hat or somebody picks you know and and we draw names so we have just one couple to buy a gift for on one side of the family and it's a lot easier and and a lot cheaper but uh, my niece sarah who's an attorney in la and her husband christian uh christian recently emailed us and they got our name and so Christian said, you know, what would you guys like for Christmas? We got you, Uncle Kurt, Aunt Laura. And so what would you like from us? And he said, if you don't come up with anything, then we'll probably just send you something perishable. You know, something from Starbucks or Hickory Farms. You know, Hickory Farm places just kind of like come up every November. And they're there and then it's like they material, you know. But he said, we'll probably just get this, you know, this perishable gift. And then he made this comment at the end of his email that really struck me. He said, well, I, actually, I guess no matter what we send you, everything is eventually perishable. I thought, that's a really good insight. You know, we think, ah, oh, get them something perishable, you know, food that they'll eat and it'll be gone. But his insight is absolutely correct. Everything, no matter what we give, is perishable. And since that true is, is true, we would do well to remember that the greatest things in life aren't things at all. People. People are what matter. Family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, fellow students. It's people. And the thing I want to do today, I want to encourage you to remember that it's about people. You think, well, yeah, that's why I want to get them newer and better and bigger gifts. That's why I want to go into debt. Now, again, I think we go a little too far when we think that's the justification. Because really what's most important is that we're just loving them and being loved by them. I could not tell you what my mom got me for Christmas 10 years ago, let alone last year. Frankly, I don't remember what I got her either. But I do know this. My mama loves me. And I matter to her. And I love her and she matters to me. And it's not about the gifts. It's about the relationships. Gifts will come and go. Things will come and go. It used to drive me crazy when we get all these toys for my kids. And, you know, when they were little, they'd open all this stuff up. Within, you know, two months it was broken. 
and the stuff that they loved to play with the most were like the pots and pans under the kitchen sink. You know, it didn't matter what I got them, what new, I think they were usually more fun for me. But they would get, you know, all the stuff which would eventually break, and then the thing that they loved to do the most was, you know, either crayons, you know, the standard, or just pulling the pots and pans out and banging them around the kitchen. Gifts will come and go. Things will come and go. But people and the gift of their love and the gift of my love for them, that's eternal. Luke 12:15, Jesus said this, Beware. Don't be greedy for what you don't have. Why? Because real life is not measured by how much we own. Again, Jesus was not afraid to deal with some tough topics from time to time. And he actually talked about money a lot more than, than uh, most of us would be comfortable with. But he went right to the heart of it. And he said, listen, beware. Be on your guard. Watch out for this. Don't be greedy for what you don't have. Because real life is not measured by how much we own. Jesus said real life is not measured by the measure of our possessions. And again, if that's true, and I want to suggest to you it is, then what is real life measured by? It's measured by the relationships, the health of our relationships, the depth of our relationships, the meaning and the power in the relationships that we have with the people in our lives. With our relationship with God, and obviously that's the most important relationship. And so that's first, and then to love others, to love those around us, to have the health of solid, godly, blessed relationships with the people around us. Nothing crushes the, the power of materialism better in my life and in yours than when we remember that the greatest things in life aren't things. They are the relationships we have. The relationship we have with God, with God our Father, and the relationship we have with each other. That's why Jesus said in John 13, Love one another as I've loved you. One of the most powerful statements that we could remember, that we, we need to just live with. Jesus didn't say just love one another. He said, love one another as I've loved you. And how did he love? He laid his life down. He served. He put up with an awful lot. He loved those people. He loved the disciples. And Jesus said, love as I've loved you. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, love one another deeply from the heart. Love one another deeply from the heart. Understanding the lies. The lies our culture tells us. One being that I need more stuff. The other being that stuff can make me truly happy. I think that's the first step towards some freedom. Understanding the truth. That to worry less we need less. And that the greatest things aren't things at all. That's the next step to health. These issues, they affect our belief system. And the reason I just want to take a whack at this today is because our belief system has been severely influenced by the culture we live in. We have been told over and over, you hear a lot more than you're going to hear this message ever again, from everyone and everything around you. A completely contrary message. We hear all these other things from the culture around us. And so it affects us. It, it, it infiltrates our belief system. And so we begin to just accept this as truth. Oh, yeah, I need more stuff. Oh, yeah, I need... It's okay to go in debt. Oh, yeah, I, I just... I got to have a newer, better, bigger... That's where... That's just... That's normal. That's what everybody does. And we need to allow the truth to alter our belief system in a way that alters the way that we live. So it affects what we do or don't do. Now, I want to finish this morning on a very practical note because talking about the lies and the truths, that's great. You got to get that because, again, it affects what we believe. affects our heart, our minds. But I want to finish with some very practical advice, some practical wisdom 
regarding Christmas shopping. And I'll cover this pretty quickly, but here's some practical wisdom. Number one, set realistic spending limits on the back side of your outline. Set realistic spending limits. How many of you just love limits? Let me see your hands. You love speed limits. You love credit card limits. Yeah, most of us don't. You know, I will admit to you that I'm, I, limits usually, I take it as far as I can and sometimes over the limit. But limits really are for our safety. And the most important way to avoid overspending this Christmas, I mean, it's very simple, but it's very, very necessary. Have a predetermined amount that you can reasonably afford to spend. What a concept. Have a predetermined amount that you can reasonably afford to spend. And so don't think with your heart. Think with your head. Don't think with, you know, emotions. But think with the mind, the wisdom that God will give you. And this is important because most of us are masters at rationalization, aren't we? Aren't we? Okay, three of you are masters with me. We are. We can justify just about anything that we really want, can't we? And uh, I, I can talk myself into it like that, and given enough time, I can almost talk Laura into almost everything. Almost. I remember about, uh, well, the last time I went into debt at Christmas time was about 15 years ago. And about that time, my stepdad, Frank Mayo, uh, started to help me bring some order to my finances and teach me how to put some things in place that I hadn't put in place and really helped me. And uh, one of the things he talked about was, you know, you need to set up a little a, a way to just monitor your Christmas spending and, and set some aside, even if it's just a little bit, and don't go into debt. But the year before that, just before that, I, it was the last year I got into debt for Christmas. And here's my thinking. I'm going to give you my rationalization because ra- I remember it very clearly. Here's my thinking. It was brilliant. I, know, I knew at that time that I, I typically got a tax return, a tax refund. And so here's my thinking. I'm going to go ahead and, and put it on the card and buy the gifts now, even though I don't have the money, because I know that I will have the money, and I'll file like January 2nd, I'll get the money before, because I'm so early, I'll get it before everybody else does, and I'll have it in time to pay off my bills, and the Visa, and MasterCard, and blah, 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 blah. And that was my rationalization. I'm going to go ahead and spend money I don't have, presuming that I will, but I'm, I'm going to get it now, and do it now, and hopefully I'll have the money later. Big mistake. Presumption. Big mistake. Uh, a, I didn't file as early as I'd hoped to. B, it didn't come before my bills started coming. And C, I got about half as much as I expected that year because I went over some arbitrary line that the government has, you know, and said, no, nope, I ain't make too much for taking this percentage. So whatever, I was, I was, for the rest of that year, paying off my Christmas debt. Set a predetermined and realistic spending limit without presuming on anything. That's a wise thing to do. You know, in the context of talking about the cost of discipleship. And that's what Jesus was talking about. But in that context, Jesus had something to say about financial planning. It's in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. He says, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Now, building a tower. Why would somebody want to build a tower? Well, if they had a field, a vineyard, whatever, they would build a tower that someone would be able to guard and watch over and, and, and keep eye on things. And, and so it's a reasonable need. Hey, I've got to keep an eye on my stuff, on my, my vineyards, on my, my harvest, and so I'm going to build this tower so that I can kind of keep eye on things and watch over my, my, uh, my possessions. He said, well, you know, if, you, if you're going to do that, you'll first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it. Verse 29, for if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him. 
saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, Set, you know, in mind, in, in, in your practice, this, this ability, this time aside to estimate the cost, to figure it out, to look ahead and to really make wise decisions. Second thing we can do, make a list. Second thing you can do, make a list and check it twice. Avoid impulse buying. You might want to write those three words down. Avoid impulse buying. Know ahead of time what you're looking for. So first plan how much you're going to spend and then plan what you're going to spend it on. My wife knows that sending me to the store without a list is a dangerous thing. I will come back with something we A, either don't need or B, already have. And uh, we've had some real doozies of a fight over this issue, you know. But honey, it was on sale, you know. And, but I want it. But I, you know, and, and my wife is Irish. I'm just going to leave it at that, okay? She's frugal. And believe it or not, she's stubborn. She's sweet and precious and gentle and kind. But she's stubborn. <laughs> and uh, she knows, man. And she doesn't even like it when I go shopping with her. Anybody else? You know, yeah, yeah. yeah, guys, I see all this happening. Shop with a list. Go with a plan. Having a Christmas list is like having a map. And I know a lot of us guys don't like to use maps either. But it's like having a map. It tells you where to go and what to look for. And it's a simple but very important step. Make a list. And here's one last thing. Number three, start early and compare. It's December 4th, guys. I know that some of you think procrastination is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not. We had our volunteer uh, Christmas appreciation dinner this last Friday night. And uh, we actually gave away a gift certificate to the very first couple that called and RSVP'd. We're going to do that from now on in just about everything. (laughs) Because uh, if I can get people to get on the stick and and not procrastinate, it would be a wonderful thing. But in this shopping realm, don't procrastinate. One of the great benefits of capitalism is competition. Most retailers know that they've got to work for your business anymore. And so they're either going to offer a better product with better service. That would be like Nordstrom's. Or they're going to offer a good product for a good price. That would be like Target or, that's Target, or a Wally World. You know, they're going, to, they're going to offer a good product for a better price. And so they know they've got to compete either with service or with, a, you know, product or a good price. They know that. And so the bottom line here is, generally speaking, the more time you can put into it, the better off you'll be. Now, I know you're thinking, well, time is money, and that's not always true for me. I I get that. But generally speaking, the more time you can put into it, the better off you'll be, because you'll always find it cheaper somewhere else. Here's what I want to leave you with today, and I'll wrap this up. Wisdom and shopping are not two opposing forces. Wisdom. And Christmas shopping are not two opposing forces. With a little planning, a little forethought, you really can experience both. And so I want to give you those practical things to do. Set realistic spending limits, make a list, and start early and compare. Now, uh, one last thing, and I'm going to read a quote and make a statement, and we're done. Please don't go home and fight this afternoon, okay? Because I know what messages like this can do. Did you hear what Pastor Kurt said? You know. Honey, how many times have I told you? That's it. We're cutting up our credit cards. We're, you know, don't go home and fight over this issue. But I would encourage you to go home and discuss it. To go ahead and say, you know what? Maybe there's some things we've kind of bought into. Some cultural issues, some cultural lies. 
that we've accepted, that we've embraced. And, and it's not really true. It's not what we're going to do. You know, one of the best Christmases we ever had, and I'm, I'm tempted to suggest we go back to this in our family, was instead of going and buying something, we had one rule. You had to make it. Now, what was scary is I can't make anything. So I cheated a little bit. But anyhow, they, the, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was great because it was a part of us. It was something that we invested and made and put time and energy into, not just walk down to the store. That's why I hate giving gift cards away. I mean, I, I know some of you are going to get gift cards, and, you know, and, and, and some of you think, well, because I like to do gift cards because I can go shopping after Christmas for all the sales. I know that, but I'm just talking about me. The reason I don't like it is because I want to invest more of my time, more of my energy in something as I give it to someone. Now, please, if you have gift cards for me, I'll take them, okay? <laughs> but what I'm suggesting is that we take a different look that we take an honest look at this issue of materialism and commercialism. And that instead of getting into January and being upset and frustrated, disappointed, and and wishing, you know, we hadn't done what we did, instead of spending the 11 months, you know, between January and November in, in regret, let's learn to live with some wisdom and to exercise some truth in our lives. One question. What really is the good life? What really is the good life. Again, our culture defines that for us, and it's bigger, better, more, newer. But I want to suggest that I think the good life is what the Bible says. The good life is simply this, and I'll quote Maxine Hancock. She said, the good life is godliness with contentment. Godliness with contentment. It is simplicity with dignity. It is having without holding. And that is, not only now, but eternally, great gain. In your pursuit of a Merry Christmas this year, I want to encourage and challenge you to decide what you're going to believe. The lies of our materialistic culture are the simple truth of God's Word. Let the band come out and pray for us, and we'll wrap this up. Let me pray. Lord, because it's so near to where most of us live, and because it's a heart issue, that we can become uncomfortable or... um, Maybe even worse than that, Lord. Maybe we start feeling guilty. And I don't want that today, God. I, your word says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so if we've blown it, if we're already in trouble, Lord, if we've already done things we shouldn't have done for this Christmas, then, God, I, I'm so grateful that we can come to you and be forgiven, that we can come to you and cry out for your help, and that you're a God who redeems and restores. And that, Lord, even when we blow it, you come when we cry out to you and you help us make things better. You help us figure out how to get from where we are to where we need to be in You. And so, Lord, I am grateful that we don't have to leave today with guilt or condemnation. We don't have to leave today frustrated. But we can leave with a, a different perspective, perhaps, with an understanding that will change uh, us and the way we live and the way we, we function. And, Lord, I know that the reason this is a big deal is because You want us to find in You all that we have. And we look for happiness in so many things, God. We look for it in stuff, and that's not where it's found. True happiness, true joy is found in you. And it's found in the relationships we have. And so, God, make this Christmas about focusing on you. Really giving our hearts to you. And about focusing on the people around us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.